Hey, y'all. Theodore Roosevelt told the American people, quote, the excellent people who protect against all hunting and consider sportsmen as enemies of wildlife are ignorant of the fact that in reality, the genuine sportsman is by all odds the most important factor in keeping the larger and more valuable wildlife creatures from total extermination, unquote. So is this true, though? And what are the threats hunters are fighting in order to preserve their lifestyle, even if they're considered the enemies? And how do hunters contribute to conservation? Where is all this discontent coming from towards hunters? Let's talk about it here on The Green Conversation. I'm your host, Leo Jenko. Hunting has played a vital part in our culture as Americans. From Native Americans to outdoorsmen, from farmers to the poor, hunting and angling help provide one of the three basic needs of life, food. However, today, our society has grown economically and socially. Cities can overlap county boundaries. Food scarcities per capita for our nation is at an all-time low, and services are at our fingertips. We have transformed the land for easier living. We lost our understanding of the benefits of hunting and why it should continue as a tradition in this nation. I can testify that our changes to the world threatens the existence of hunting. There is a conflict between the general public and the economy over who gets to experience and use nature. And hunters are in the midst of this conflict. Out of everyone in the nation, they are likely to value nature the most and are hurt the most in this conflict. So as more and more land is consumed by industries to supply the urban world, the ability for the public to experience the wilderness and connect with nature dwindles. The expansion of the economy threatens wildlife diversity and land available to the public. As our world expands and invades into the wilderness, our activities also expand. Even if hunting is banned or lost, our activities are going to run into conflict with wildlife. There will always be issues. We will always harm wildlife within urbanization and recreational activities, such as observed by city and colleagues in 2012, and I apologize if I mispronounce that scholar's name. Y'all heard about the old angler's tip that fish can hear you, right? Well, that's not too far off from reality. Our daily lives can indirectly affect wildlife, especially noise and light. Even our own pets and allowing them to roam free can affect wildlife, though smaller wildlife. The, these forms of pollution can disrupt wildlife behavior, which in turn affects the vegetation around us. The balance between animals and plants is very intricate. Ripple and colleagues conducted studies in 2001, 2012, and 2016, where they observed the reintroduction of wolves to Yellowstone National Park. They found that vegetation drastically improved due to the wolves affecting herbivore behaviors. We need animals and plants for a healthy environment. And hunting helps maintain the balance between animals and plants. Because while it's great that the wolves are introduced into Yellowstone National Park, we still have to make sure that the wolves do not overconsume herbivores in order for foliage to be maintained. One solution to fight against the encroaching urbanization and production is the purchase of private land for conservation but this limits the land that can be used by the public. Research by Alazen, and I again, I apologize for the name, 
Research by Alazen 2021 has found that private land creates a paywall for many Americans. Private land is not questioned to be a limit on the opportunities to hunt, which in turn strains locals from hunting themselves. No, it's just another compounding factor on the extinction of hunting in America, which helps supplies conservation efforts. However, private land seems to be the answer currently to fight against the growing urban sprawl and land destruction. But I do not see this as a permanent solution. Buying land is great, and as the economy grows, the idea of eminent domain and property taxes can overburden private investment for conservation. For instance, if an urban sprawl is spreading, one can enact the government to enforce eminent domain over your private land for the sake of housing or other development, or you can just be taxed out. I have a friend who owns about 30 acres of land uh, for his home and uses the land to grow endangered trees from the area. However, property investors are buying up the land around the area, which causes many problems. More importantly, property taxes will increase as the property value increases, and this is due to the rise in housing and property demand. Thus, property is always going to be monetarily threatened. It is a growing struggle to live in rural America. And I remember heading to Iowa for a job interview. As I was driven around the area, my heart sank when I saw abandoned farms one after another. According to the government records from the Census Bureau, the medium household for rural Americans was 25% lower than urban living Americans in 2007. And this gap just continued to grow up to 2017. It, it was a miracle for an individual to maintain land for conservation and farming and agriculture without being backed by some sort of sponsored corporation or government subsidy. If, if they don't find a way to develop the land, people in rural America would be left behind in the economy. Hunters are now probably our last line of defense against encroaching urbanization and to protect conservation efforts. Hunters carry the stories of the consequences of our development. Urban and environmental activism only gets a glimpse of the environment through trips and vacations. They don't live the destruction and see how it affects everyday life for rural dwellers and wildlife. Hunters fight for their world, and they fight it through funding and campaigns, some of the largest campaigns to date. I, I, I think the main question is why, though? Why are hunters so adamant on conservation when they kill animals? Pe people may not agree with me, but I think animal rights and environmental activists behave in a way where they don't truly understand nature. In other words, they are disconnected from nature and their views are because of that disconnect. But again, that still leaves the question, why would hunters then be our best bet? So how are hunters the biggest contributors to conservation? Well, according to the latest National Survey of Fish, Hunting, and Wildlife Associated Recreation from 2016, hunters and anglers spent around $81 billion on expenditures to hunt and fish. According to the survey, most expenditures on equipment and licenses and permits contribute to fund conservation efforts and research. According to the National Shooting Sports Foundation, $3.4 billion is estimated for conservation just by sportsmen alone. 
Even our Western allies know the economic value of hunting. According to the hunters of Europe, they directly donate 16 billion euros in 2016 to conservation. So hunters, yeah, they play a huge part in terms of funding conservation efforts. But let's look on the flip side. What happens when hunting decreases? Well, this was answered by an article by NPR in 2018 titled, Decline in Hunters Threatens How U.S. Pays for Conservation. And it reads, quote, In Wisconsin, a lack of funding has prompted the state's Department of Natural Resources to leave staff positions unfulfilled and cut back on habitat management. Colorado's wildlife agency has cut tens of millions of dollars in expenditures and trimmed programs that deal with evasive species. Vermont's Fish and Wildlife Department, which manages more than 25,000 species and nearly 2,000 native plants, is cautioning that even though the state leads the nation in wildlife viewing, that activity provides no significant revenue stream to the department that would allow for the management of resources viewed. Unquote. The reporter also interviewed Keith Warnke, the hunting and shooting sports coordinator for the state of Wisconsin at the time. The article writes, Increased urbanization, restricted access to hunting areas, lack of free time, and the rise of Netflix, video games, and all-consuming youth sports are all dropping hunter numbers. But the most pressing challenge is the one that Warnke and others cannot do anything about. We are up against a demography wall, Wonky says, a wall of demographics where the number of hunters are really going to decline. This wall is an age, 65. That is when the average hunter stops buying licenses and picking up the rifle, Wonky says. The sports commissioner and the article is right. Hunters contribute a lot of monetary value for conservation, whether it would be buying ammo or a bow or a firearm, tickets, permits, you name it. Their whole industry is set up to fund conservation. Most, if not all, purchases have ties to conservation efforts. Even buying clothes help contribute to conservation. Are you familiar with the Guy Harvey shirts found in every Bass Pro Shop? Yep, those as well. Those pastel shirts with the beautiful images of fish on the back and the signature on the front help fund the Guy Harvey Ocean Foundation which is an organization of philanthropists and scientists to study and promote conservation for aquatic life. It is amazing how much the hunting industry supplies conservation efforts. And the way the morality in America is being developed, are we really willing to give up that in order to do what? Feel some sort of virtue and pride for not harming an animal? You can make the argument that we should be able to give money without supporting a means to kill an animal. But the problem is, you still don't understand what you're giving to. If we stop all hunting and the industry, we're going to stop our understanding and connection with nature. So yeah, some people may donate their money out of the goodness of their heart, but as we separate ourselves from nature more and more, some people may not even give money back because conservation does not affect their life at face value. That's an even worse mentality and morality than having hunters exist in the world.
Okay, I want to slow down right here because I really want to emphasize this. There is a reason why getting rid of hunting and just donating out of the goodness of your heart is not going to work. And that reason is called alienation. And this has been studied in academia for a while, though there's not a vast amount of research in terms of how it relates to hunting. It is still very eye-opening for people who are outside of the hunting community. So alienation is a concept that derives from Epicus, a philosopher from the Greek times, which subsequently Karl Marx used in his writings. It, it was an idea that humans do not understand what really stimulates their behavior and reasoning. Dr. M. Niles Peterson is a great scholar who discusses how hunting brings people closer to the environment, not physically, but in how we operate. Because what really stimulates our behavior and reasoning is the physical landscape and ecosystems and nature around us. Most people have no clue how the environment works. Hunters, on the other hand, move with the land. They understand how animals migrate and feed. They can also identify plants and landmarks. Some hunters will even live in the wilderness. My point is, hunting opens up our understanding of what really influences our behavior and reasoning, which is nature, the lay of the land, the weather, the richness of ecosystems, etc. But as we increase urbanization, we continuously destroy our opportunities to connect with nature. With the growing burden of economic growth and stability, time is limited for people today to understand the role in nature. I myself would love to hunt, but I'm in my early 30s. I don't know how to hunt. I don't have the means to hunt, and I don't have the support system to hunt. I have to focus on building my career, getting ready for retirement. My days where I can learn a skill when I was a student in high school or college has passed me by. The world has changed amazingly fast over the years, but we are slowly losing our appreciation with nature. And this idea of alienation can be seen with how we use nature in our own language. So a study in 2017 by Selen Kesbir and Pelion Kesbir, again, I apologize if I mess up these names, but they measured the relevance of nature in Anglo society by using rhetoric. Kesbir and Kesbir argued that our delivery of stories and messages reflect the tone and focus of culture and society. Over the years up to around 2000, their study found a decrease in nature references for songs, books, and movies just to convey the meaning and lessons of everyday life. That is, our society does not recognize nature as part of our cultural understanding of the world anymore. And this decline strengthened around the 1950s. Not surprisingly, this was the era where mass production became a goal for our economy. As we develop, our perceptions of nature are skewed and exaggerated from urban dwellers. And this manifests in many ways, and one of the ways are animal activists who have grown rapidly over the years, and now we have veganism on the rise. But ignoring the politics, these activist groups send one message. The environment is being left behind. But unfortunately, these groups have no idea how to actually help the environment because of the disconnect of nature. Unfortunately, these groups have no idea how to actually help the environment because they are disconnected from nature themselves. You have to have a large understanding of human ecology in order to propose a new system where humans and nature can coexist. 
for most of these groups, this is more of a hobby and an interest instead of a career or lifestyle. And I believe that I think this is, statistic is 80% of vegans uh, will actually revert back to eating meat because of nutritional issues and um, eating habits. But don't quote me on that. Yeah, you, you can see how it's just a hobby or an interest. So while our ecology should change, some people have tried operating in the current economy to reconnect humans through nature, but it has nothing to do with hunting. So some people have tried to help people reconnect with nature in our current economy and structure, um, but it has nothing to do with hunting. So there is a movement in urban areas to include green areas to help relax and help ease the anxiety of the urban environments. Many scholars have documented this advantage to have nature around people. However, this doesn't seem that these areas can help people understand nature, which is the whole issue with alienation. A study by Nancy Santi, published in 2020, found that Baltimore, Maryland residents found local forest patches to be messy, chaotic, unpredictable, even if it helped the residents relax. There is still a disconnect over the total idea of nature and how we are a part of this earth gifted to us. Additionally, research has shown that people can easily recognize human intervention in nature. Thus, people know gardens and sculpted landscapes are not true forms of nature, but I highly doubt they really want to know real nature if they don't like the messiness and chaos and unpredictability of it. However, hunters enjoy the messiness of nature because they learn how ecosystems and wildlife behave. Hunters see the beauty in natural organization. They understand that humans play a part in nature and it is a wonderful connection we should protect. However, the construction of our own ecosystem is designed to our liking. And over the years, we like the neat and clean streets, clean looking vehicles, beautiful city skylines, beautiful gardens and sculpted parks, and more. The study in Baltimore was right. While nature has this mystical effect on our psyche, we believe nature is messy compared to our created ecosystems. And this is one of the many reasons which drives us further away from truly understanding nature and our place in it and how nature dictates our behaviors and reasoning. This is why hunting is so important and it should be promoted. Let's discuss some talking points that you can bring to the table to support hunting. At one point in our history, hunting and the outdoors were supposed to be the remedy for the destructive urban expansion and our disconnect from nature. In the 1800s, there was a rediscovery of the wilderness in the state of New York that was long believed to be lost to urbanization. This is one of the reasons why Roosevelt emphasized manhood and nature when discussing hunting, because hunting provided a consciousness of nature. But most people don't really understand the benefits of hunting and the ties to oppression and freedom. You see, the wilderness is under the public trust doctrine. The doctrine is a principle where air, water, and land and wildlife cannot be owned by one individual or group. So you are able to use the water outside for drinking. You are able to explore different landscapes. You are able to hunt freely. 
You can do all these actions without fear of government or corporate gatekeepers. But over the years, we continued to forfeit our independence from the government to government and big businesses. And as a result, we lightened the political weight of the public trust doctrine and hunting. The more we rely on corporations to support our food necessities, the more we start to lose sight of the purpose of hunting. Freedom. It exercises our own ability to live our life, a life of independence. You want to live out off the grid? So be it. Hunting provides that feeling of encouragement for a self-made American. We are not England or any other European country. I don't understand why people want us to be more like Europe in all our aspects of life. There are fundamental differences in our traditional perspective of government and economic freedoms, and it boggles my mind. Hunting provides this economic freedom that historically was not there for a very long time in Europe. The public trust doctrine was supposed to protect our freedom to hunt, but it has been a struggle. For y'all's information, the doctrine was argued to stop the centralization of resources under a business group or person so anyone can use the land for substance. Anything considered a public trust, air, water, and land is protected by government. This does not mean the government has control over the resources. The idea is that land cannot be sold without approval of the people. But the government doesn't really have the money to monitor these lands and the upkeep. As a result, land was sold and privatized for conservation. This issue also gets worse when the government is given too much power to bypass the voice of the people. We now elect presidents that can dictate the sale of federal lands without weighing in on the people, Congress, or the House. And this threatens hunting efforts to preserve lands and continue our freedom. And this issue isn't new, by, by any means. Hunting has been under threat since the moment the government forfeited land to help conservation efforts. Carl Jacoby wrote, a, um, wrote an amazing historical analysis on the emergence of illegal hunting in America, which closely intertwines with the public trust doctrine. When, when land was first established as a public trust, the government had the hardest time funding and financing the operations to protect the land. There was just too much land. And as I mentioned before, the solution, well, was to sell the land for conservation. So the government started selling the land to individuals who in turn would monitor the area for conservation. But this is where the problems come in. The privately owned land started shutting off access to locals who would hunt and fish on said land. Now, anytime people would use the private land to hunt and fish, they would be charged with trespassing and illegal hunting. The government's solution to ensure funding and protecting land was the thing that started the decline of the government's ability to enforce the doctrine in the first place. Okay, that was a lot of information. But to summarize, hunting is the expression of freedom, something that we want to treasure in this nation. But it is threatened by the ever-expanding urbanization and economic development. Our legal protection for hunting, aka the public trust doctrine, is also failing as the government continues to undermine and underfund the protection of our public lands, mainly because we gave them too much power. But I can think of two ways conservatives can help hunters and the freedom it provides. The first approach is kind of 
drastic, I would say, but the government can eliminate services that are not impacting our society. I know it's difficult to overturn services and it will anger many urban citizens, but I would rather cut down a government program that isn't really having much of an impact and have the money to spend for public lands and other critical issues. Hunting is under threat, but it seems like hunters are the only bodies willing to fight against environmental degradation on multiple political fronts. So to argue that, oh, uh, this political party or this politician is going to support the environment, it's like, yeah, but at what level and how much? Is it to get your vote or is it virtue signaling? I I don't know. Like, is there a history? Hunters actually have a history generational history, unlike politicians. So yeah, we can cut some government services. The second approach, become a hunting advocate. You don't have to be a hunter. You just have to support the policies and public movement to protect hunting. Hunting is economic freedom, freedom to find and make your own food, freedom to live independently. Okay, well, that's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. The next episode will come out in two weeks. Remember, episodes come out on the 15th and 30th of each month for as long as the season lasts. Until then, I will talk to you all another time. You just listened to The Green Conversation with Leo. If you would like to contribute to the podcast, please visit leojenko.org and sign up to be a member of the community. As a member, you can get content all year long compared to public listeners. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Search for The Green Conversation. Music was produced by Michael David Mobley. Sound and script were produced in-house. Research to make this episode is cited in the episode description. If you would like to make a one-time donation, please contact me for further details. Contact information is on the website. Look for the next episode in two weeks. See you then.